Blog Talk Radio. Pleasure to be back. Well, <laughs> yes, we're glad to have you. Uh, um, we haven't had too many return guests, guests so this is nice. Uh, yes. We've had a few. So let's uh, start right off with The Swimmer. Um, it was released in late April, um, if I'm correct. Uh, and as I said earlier, the book is literary fiction. Um, it's got an element of mystery to it, but it also has touches of magical realism. And um, it deals with some fairly weighty themes. Uh, Laurie, can you tell our listeners a, a little bit about this intriguing novel? Well, I had been reading um, Jose Saramago's, uh, a couple of his books that uh, feature magical realism, and I sort of thought that might be fun to try, and I also wanted to head over more into uh, pretty much purely literary work, although some of my stories are, are in that category. Um, so I, I thought that the magical realism would be interesting, and um, that was um, actually, I would look at it this way. Uh, magical realism essentially creates a mystery for the reader because he or she has got to figure out what's real and what isn't. And that constant sort of 
being unsure and the sort of unstable quality of the book, I think, is is uh, really interesting for me. Um, so that is how this sort of book came about. And then I had um, a, a wife who died from pancreatic cancer. So I thought, well, that was in the, my head because I had quite a bit of information, uh, needless to say, about the whole process. And though the character who is the lead in this book is not anything like her, uh, except the fact that they were both uh, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and also uh, were both psychotherapists, um, I thought that was just really, just you know, really a fascinating issue to deal with. Hmm. Hmm. Well, thanks for uh, defining magical realism. I wasn't exactly sure 100% what it is. So thanks for that. And with The Swimmer, you tackle a number of subjects, um, facing a mental illness and the end-of-life issues, it's death, grief, mother-and-son relationships, regrets. And any one of these issues would be a formidable one to attack, but you managed to weave them all into one story. Can you tell us how you approach such a emotional subjects and then strike the right tone? Well, um, you know, my my basic approach is a secular humanist, so I didn't want to go into religion or anything that, um, you know, many people cover uh, when they write a book about end-of-life issues. Um, mm-hmm. So I, t- I very much took a secular approach. Uh this character is really an interesting one. She's she's basically heroic, of course, but you know she has her flaws, which become more obvious as she bounces off of the other two characters um, that are primary in the book. Uh, I wanted to take her to someplace really quiet, and uh, so I, she's on Cape Cod when the book opens, and she's gone there to sort of sort out her life and consider. Uh, what she's going to do next is, as her disease gets worse, which she knows it will. Um, so I put her sort of in this very beautiful environment um, on the beach on the national uh, seashore there outside of Provincetown. Um, and there she meets this fascinating, very um, handsome, I mean just in- incredibly handsome man, and they strike up a relationship and they talk. So um, he is sort of the embodiment of the uh, sort of a magical realism in a sense. Mm. Well, that's interesting. So um, I wanted to ask you um, about uh, this guy and Mm -hmm. and the son um, because uh, you've created – a relationship triangle, but it's not the traditional uh, sort of romantic love triangle that you think about when you have, um, you know, oh, three main characters like that that come into, from from what I understand, some some conflict um, and uh, you know emotional issues. So uh, how did you decide to? Uh, make a, a triangle in some ways uh, the centerpiece of the book, along with, of course, the protagonist, the, the issues that she's dealing with. 
Well, I come from a family of three, so I tend to <laughs> I tend to be fascinated with triangles <laughs> of all sorts. And um, you know, in my family uh, uh, structure, there was always a bit of tension, and so uh, I was very adept at a young age picking up on psychological nuances and things of that sort. So, um, yes, you're really right that this book is not the typical triangle, which is usually a romantic one um, where uh, you have three parties. Um, This is an unusual situation, and, again, this this sort of plays into the magical realism factor. Um, You know, there's the obvious... uh, uh, relationship between the mother, uh, Bess Lynch, who is the psychotherapist with cancer, and her son, who abruptly shows up, um, Nathan. And he's an adult, and he's going through some real trials. And uh, during the process of this book, we learn more about their relationship and some information, of, you know, some dealings with Bess's husband, who is back at Stanford, uh, Connecticut. Um, so it's really a sort of a psychodrama, and then uh, this beautiful, handsome man is inserted into uh, the seesaw between these two characters, and um, that is pretty much the way it goes, and he turns out to be uh, quite a bit of a cipher and very enigmatic, and uh, I don't want to give away too much, but you know he he plays a, an interesting, very unusual role between these two two people. Yeah, you know I like intrigued. I like the term seesaw. I think that's yeah. good. Yes. <laughs> and in your previous works, you know, you've shown us uh, that setting is very important, and of course it is. Um, I think of it as another character. Um, for example, in Pennsylvania's Laurel Highlands and The Bittersweet Tale, Venice and Jenny Kidd, Mykonos and The Ungodly Hour. The Swimmer takes place on Cape Cod, as you mentioned, and is that critical to the plot, or did you just want to put her in a peaceful setting? Well, I always have to laugh because I grew up looking at water. I moved inland for a little bit towards the Princeton area in New Jersey, and now Mm -hmm. I've the last 25 years are staring at the water again. So I think that there is I have a little bit of a fixation with water. So this is where I would go if I had some life decisions to make um, would be near water. So I thought that that would be a very uh, good good setting, and and you're right, setting has been really important. And if you notice, most of all the places you mentioned, uh, except for the Laurel Highlands, have been pretty much near water, either you know, an island mm-hmm. or something along those lines. And that's also true of some manuscripts that I haven't yet published. So um, yes, I, I think setting is important, and I, I really wanted to, to create this very evocative kind of uh, relationship that Bess has with the ocean, and then this is carried through all the way to the end of the story. So um, you know that, that's a that's a really critical location. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you know, I'm off to the Outer Banks soon. Um, and this sounds like the perfect <laughs> I because I didn't get a chance to, to read it before we had this interview with you. Um I think I'll take it along so Okay. <laughs> so I can read it by the water on the beach. Sounds perfect. <laughs> well, let's talk 
talk um, about some of your very eclectic approach to writing. Um, Your writing runs the gamut. Um, You've written fiction, poetry in the fiction category. You've written novels. Uh, You've written stories with a variety of audiences from young adult to adult. Um, And I'm just fascinated by your creative process to, like, how do you decide what topics you're going to write about, uh, what the genre is going to be? Uh, I mean, do you set out to say, well, today I'm going to write a young adult novel or I'm going to write literary fiction and then choose a subject? Or does all this stuff just pop into your mind and you uh, manage to figure out how to create from what pops into your mind? Well, I I joked the other day that I must have multiple personality disorder because um, I have a lot of characters that sort of drop into my head, which was true for the comedy uh, Fabulous and Opera Buffo, which was a gay guy who visited me while I was sitting, minding my own business on the deck and just popped in my head. And then Django Jack's... Uh, from a bittersweet tale, I typed his name in. I woke up in the morning with his with his name in my head, and I typed it in, and out he came. So channeling characters sometimes happens to me, and I I can't explain it. Um, for this particular book, The Swimmer, um, this was more of a what if problem. Um, I knew that I wanted to deal with magical realism and more literary work, which was something I've been trending to do, and then. Uh-huh. Um, Uh, I really wanted to try and uh, deal with how someone would approach um, an end-of-life situation uh, from a secular point of view. And um, I wanted to use a psychotherapist because I thought, you know, that particular career would lead to someone who was rather self-aware and honest and then to sort of show some things that maybe she had not noticed about herself. So I, I really sort of tried to take the epitome of, of awareness in a, in a therapist and then, you know, give her some bounces on that and, and have her deal with some issues. So, uh, yeah, I write different kinds of things, setting sometimes, like Venice was a start for Jenny Kidd. Um, I really can't tell you. I, I sometimes have a very specific idea in my head with an end zone in mind, and other times the work is very organic and brings me to the end point, and there I am, and then I know what I've created, <laughs> which is necessarily oh. what I had in mind. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> whatever works, yeah. Um, you look at if formats like the short stories, and poetry, each are very different and require, um, you know, a different approach, you know, different diction. I'm just wondering if you had a favorite and how do you like or dislike each format? Well, I started um, back when I was seven years old writing poetry. So that was my first connection. And then I wrote my first novel between the age of 12 and 13. Uh, in high school, I wrote some uh, short stories, and I also continue with poetry, which is what I've sort of done most of my life. Um, I would say that it, it's very hard for me to write poetry just cold 
whereas I can pick up fiction a lot more readily. Um, poetry just has to come to me either because I've been reading poetry and it sparks something or I fall in love with a phrase or I notice something really beautiful in nature that is interesting to me. Uh, so right now I would say my primary interest is long fiction uh, because that's what I've been doing mostly. Um, I have written a couple of other short stories, but nothing recently. I find that um, that arc, that shorter arc, is, is very challenging, and I mm -hmm. was very fortunate to be able to have a collection of, of, of stories um, published. But now I'm really pretty much concentrating on novels. And I've just done two partially linked novellas that are under serious consideration, and they both have magical realism in them, and they, they followed, they were written after The Swimmer. So um, I, I think that's where I'm mostly concentrating. But I have a hard time writing poetry and then switching over to fiction, just like I'm also a photographer, and I have a trouble going between the verbal and the visual. Uh, it's just like my brain doesn't work very well between the two. How do you have time for photography? <laughs> well, I don't have much time for photography. <laughs> um, I only have been mostly doing photography when I need a book cover <laughs> illustration. Oh, okay. Uh, so that's, a, that's an honest answer. <laughs> Yeah, I do a little yeah. bit, but um, I've I've had some foot disability issues, so my uh, roaming around with a camera has been pretty much curtailed. So, um, unfortunately. Mm. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I have to say that um, I really admire um, uh, you and others who can write short stories. Try as I can. I just, I'm too wordy or something <laughs> to be able to compress uh, a story into something short. So I, I really admire the the skill and the art of that. So congratulations for having a whole book of <laughs> Well, I think it's a good, uh, we, good way to cut your teeth, too. I think, you know, you really mm -hmm. learn your your style and your skill level improves and, you know, a lot about, um, you know, line editing and things like that. So I think it's, uh, you know, writing a short story is a very good way to begin before writing a novel. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. it would probably encourage you to really be pretty ruthless about editing your yourself um, to keep it within, uh, you know, the 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 confines of, uh, you know, your page limits or, you know, the whole concept of being a short story. Um, so that that in and of itself would probably be useful to nearly all of us to, to learn how to self-edit a little bit better. Well, I think it's very useful to be able to draw a character or a place in, 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 in really clear terms without going on and on and on. Um, so, you know, you need to pick up some uh, characteristics or behavior uh, that really describe that character so the reader knows, gets, gets it right away. Uh, so you can't fool yeah. around too much. Um, and you have to keep your arc very short and simple, and you don't have to have a lot of characters. So 
that does make it a little bit easier. Um, I don't tend to use a lot of characters anyway because, I, as I said, I come from a, a family of three, so I don't I don't tend to think in multitudes of people. <laughs> think in triangles. <laughs> yeah, Sh- short and sweet in triangles. <laughs> Right. Well, um, Laurie, we, we may have discussed this in your last appearance, but um, I, it, it's something that I think um, our listeners are, are routinely interested in, which is your books have been published by a variety of different publishers. Um, and, of course, as we've been talking about, you write in a, in a variety of genres. Does the genre dictate the publishers that you or your agent, if you have one, approach for finding a home for each of your works, or is there another methodology to it that you employ? Well, I did have an agent for a brief while, but he was elderly uh, and got sicker so and really didn't do anything to help me out very much. So that's one reason I've sort of had a cluster of books because he finally freed everything up so I could submit them myself. Uh, I think your point about um, the genre dictating the publisher is really a significant one because um, – I tend to write so broadly. So, for example, Tiny Fox Press, who were just absolutely delightful people to work with, they accepted Fabulous uh, because it was a comedy. And the other kinds of things that they tended to publish were way miles away from what I do, like steampunk and sci-fi and stuff like that. So as much as I would have loved to go back to them, I couldn't. And... Um, I also occasionally will bridge over into the LGBTQ area, and so uh-huh. for those books, I tend to go to publishers that represent that readership. Um, you know, and then I've had uh, you know a few situations where I really didn't want to go back to a publisher either because of you know um, uh, editing problems or something else. So. Or the publisher went out of business. So I've I've had uh, you know a lot of different experiences here, and I think right now I have one possibly two really great publishers. So I'm hoping I can just you know send both of them books that are you know specifically good for their readers, uh, and then narrow mm-hmm. this down and not go through and reinvent the wheel every time. <laughs> Yeah, if only we could just write and not worry about that business part of things, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it would be perfect. But we live in an imperfect world, ladies. Um, and now as a writer, I like to hear about other writers, writing, authors, and their writing processes. Um, do you write every day without fail? Yes, I do. Or? I do. Um, I, I tend to write about... Uh, uh, pretty much all day from about 8 or 8.30 in the morning until about 5 at night. And that would include all kinds of other things, too, like polishing, editing, doing promotion, um, reading contracts, you know, all of the above. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I usually tend to work a good portion of the weekend as well. Um, with COVID-19, I haven't had a lot of other things I really could do, so this has been <laughs> fortunate for me, and I've been a fortunate person because I have something I can do that, uh, you know, is at home and at my desk. So um, I have really been a workaholic. Mm. Well, um, I, I know that 
some authors don't really like to talk too much about their new work, um, but you've already mentioned uh, that you've got two related novellas in, in the works, perhaps. Um, so do, do you want to discuss, are you comfortable discussing what you're working on and um, maybe what's in the future after that? Well, I have uh, two books that, yeah, I have two books under um, contract that should be coming out later this year. One is a young adult novel, which you mentioned, Turnabout, and the other one is a literary suspense, uh, Wave in D Minor, which is about a young opera composer who has been given um, a house on, on the, in the wilds, in the ocean wilds of uh, Maine uh, to work on a new opera that she's composing about the relationships between Vita Sackville West, Virginia Woolf, and Violet Trefusis. So that one is going to be coming, you know, they're both under production. And then I have um, several books that are under serious consideration. Uh, one is set in 1965 on the island of St. Croix in the Virgin Islands. And it's got some autobiographical touches, and it's called Once Upon an Island, and I'm really hoping that one of my two publishers will pick this one up because it's a favorite of mine. And then I have those two novellas also under consideration, and they are literary, and they're sort of Orlando-esque, if you if you could say that, uh, because they have some sort of transformations through time and uh, some very magical effects in it. So um, those are some of the things. And then I have a couple of other projects, one I've – just grabbed from 2003 and thought it was just awful, and then I realized it wasn't so awful. So I've just cut 11,000 words out of the thing, and <laughs> and I'm trying to bring that one into into form. Um, and another new one that I wrote over the summer, so I'm working on that now. As a matter of fact, that's Molly, amazing! Wow! <laughs> wow! <laughs> Yeah. I work on one thing at a time until I'm done with it, and it's on to the next. That's, well, you know, know it got can... postponed and sort of got stuck because of COVID, too, so I've really got a cluster that I didn't expect to have. Mm. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah, that's a good well, point. Yeah. Well, well, I can see we're going to be having you back again on the podcast. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I would love to do that. And, and thank you Just, very much for coming on the podcast today. My we appreciate pleasure. Thank your returning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we yeah. enjoyed talking with you and uh, you're sharing your many varied, amazing interests, um, especially sharing your latest book, The Swimmer. And I love the cover, speaking of, of water. Um, it's uh, one of my favorite symbols, you know, for, for life and time and moving on and so it's a beautiful book cover yeah um, that's one of my my photography students uh, took that for me at my direction and it's my design so um i was really happy to be able to do that <laughs> so thank you uh-huh. uh is there anything else you'd like to share with us and our audience maybe like where readers can buy your books and follow you on social media uh yeah um the book is available on Amazon in ebook and paperback, um, or people can go to my website, which is um, www. 
com and I always use my middle initial so that that's important um, and I uh, am, you know I'm happy to send signed copies to anybody who would like to contact me through my website okay well thank you well Lori best of luck with the swimmer and all of these upcoming writing projects um, as Jody said thanks for joining us again all right. Thank you very much. And this is a reminder to all you readers and listeners. Our books are available at Sunbury Press's online bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online retailers and bookstores. A special thanks to all of you for listening to the Milford House Mysteries. We hope you enjoyed our program. Our next podcast is on June 3rd, 3.30 p.m., and we will be interviewing YA author Joe Harvey, author of Summer Changes Everything and the Famous Last Word series. In the meantime, you can listen to any of our previous podcasts that you've missed. Uh, just search for Milford House Mysteries on the BookSpeak Network and several other podcast outlets. Um, please follow us on social media as well. I'm on the web at www.SherryNolton.com plus Facebook and Twitter. And I'm on Facebook.com slash Carlisle Crime Cases by J.M. West. <laughs> I'm hesitating over what's my middle initial. And my website is www.CarlisleCrimeCases.com. So thanks for joining us. Until next time. Okay, thanks again, Lori. Thanks for spending time with us today. We'll see you My pleasure. just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time <gasps> no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details